Amazing. Welcome to Bethany North. My name is Ruth Seidel. I'm the associate pastor here, and I'm delighted to be with you this morning. A couple of weeks ago, I was actually up in Westlock, Alberta. That's where my family, both sides of the family, come from, and we were having the Fred and Phoebe Lions reunion. I have 10 living aunts and uncles who are over the age of 80, so that bodes well for me. Um, they are people I spent a lot of time with as a kid. I would, they mostly had farms, and so no, no better place when you're a kid than the freedom of being on a farm. My grandparents founded a Bible camp up there, and I was at camp every summer. And these are the people who, my, that's my dad, my Uncle Evan, my mom, Aunt Kathleen, and Uncle Danny. These are some of the people who loved me well. They listened to me, they fed me, they took care of me, and I am so grateful for their place in my life. And as I was up there reflecting on this group of people, most of whom have had an experience with Jesus and have had some relationship with God over the years, it was interesting to think about what is it that causes faith to endure? Why does it thrive in some people's lives? And why do some people get stuck? Why is it that um, the faith of our youth doesn't always flow for decades to come? And I think there's just lots and lots of reasons as I think about the places that people get stuck in their journey of faith, because the challenges for sure do not all come when you are young. We can get stuck in grief about trauma. I have a cousin who was murdered. There's a lot of trauma in that family. We can get stuck there. We can get stuck just in personal disappointments, or sometimes people have resentments about the church or a particular relationship that got broken. We can get stuck in our own behavior where we have patterns of behavior that become even addictions that control us. Any one of those can be a place where we get stuck. And Exodus 18 is one of those places in the life of Moses. He is at a particularly important place where the people of God, and he in particular, could have gotten stuck. We're in this series about Moses' life called The Art of the Journey, and he's probably a fairly elderly gentleman at this point in life, but he has had some awesome experiences with God. He has stood before Pharaoh on, on God's behalf. He has faced him down and led the people of Israel out of Egypt with all kinds of miracles. He has seen God rescue and provide for his people along this way. But now he's in a brand new place, a place that he has never been before. It's one thing to free two million slaves. It's another thing to turn them into a functioning community of free people. Two million slaves. They've been slaves for a long, generational, generational, generational time, and now they are free. What is that going to look like? It's certainly an overwhelming task. And so that first half of the book of Exodus is really about that move to freedom. We have been studying that for 17 chapters. And the rest of the book of Exodus will be their stay at Mount Sinai and, and the instructions through Moses to the people about sort of how to become people of God in everyday life. They have a lot to learn. But we're at this hinge chapter in the book of Exodus. We're at an important place where this community has some things to face if they are going to endure. They have to address the current problem. And the current problem is 
Moses is the leader of two million people. That's just completely unsustainable. But the good news in the story of this chapter is that God sends help to Moses. And the good news for us is, in the stuck places of our lives, all through our journey of faith, whatever decade we are in, God has resources all around us too if we are willing to ask for help. Enduring faith requires these two things, acknowledging those stuck places, those burdens, those problems, and being willing to accept and ask for help. So let's pray as we begin. Father, thank you for your words and thank you for your people through all generations who we have learned from and benefited from and whose lives teach us. Thank you for the life of Moses that has taught us so much. God, would you be in your words today and in my words today in a way that is life-giving and encouraging to your people, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So I tweaked the title. If you're looking at your bulletin, they were printed a couple of weeks ago. Um, And I realized that although shared leadership in the church is one way that we express humility, I think the broader lesson here is about asking for help because leaders aren't the only people who get stuck. We all get stuck. Let's start, I'm going to read the first four verses of Exodus 18. If you have your Bibles or um, phones that you can read on, you're welcome to read along or you can just listen. The first four verses say, Now Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Moses' wife Zipporah after he had sent her away and her two sons. So the last time we heard about Moses' family and his wife Zipporah, we were in that interesting chapter where she saved his life by circumcising his sons. And there was kind of an angry exchange in that chapter. It's kind of, I I was amazed. We actually talked about it here at Bethany. It's often a chapter that is jumped over because it's pretty weird um, about about their sons needing to be circumcised. And many people interpret this place where Jethro is bringing his family back as that Moses had sent his his wife and kids away, sort of like a soldier going to war, that he wanted to protect them. He didn't know what he was going into in Egypt, and that is a possibility. But it sounds to me from this scripture that it was much more unhappy parting than that. Moses sent her away. And then it never says he sent for her to come back. So my guess is that this was big news. Two million slaves are freed in Egypt. Pharaoh's army has been destroyed that would have been big news that would have even got to Midian. Jethro hears that news and he decides to come and bring Moses' family back together. Jethro is an astute observer of what's going on and the challenges facing Moses and he's also a wise Um, father-in-law. When I became a mother-in-law, maybe eight years ago, I should probably know that, but I don't, um, I had a great piece of advice from a friend of mine and that was, don't give advice. Even if you're asked, don't give advice. Don't take a side between your kid and the in-law. Always point them towards each other, and that has proved to be a good piece of advice. Uh, Someone else said that unsolicited advice is indistinguishable from criticism, and that's especially true from a parent. Unsolicited advice 
sounds exactly like criticism to, to your kids. So Jethro shows great wisdom here in that he doesn't start with criticism or advice. Instead, in verse 14, he starts with two questions. He says to Moses, what is it that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone while all the people stand around you from morning till evening? Jethro is willing to hear the, the perspective of Moses. He's willing to understand the situation from Moses' perspective. And he listens as Moses describes three burdens that he's carrying as the leader of God's people. Verse 15 and 16, Moses' succinct answer is, because the people come to me to seek God's will, one, whenever they have a dispute, two, it is brought to me and I decide between the parties, and three, I inform them of God's decrees and laws. So Moses is carrying these three burdens. He's praying for people, he's settling disputes, and he's teaching. And there's nothing wrong with any of those. Those are completely appropriate to his call as a leader of God's people, that he would ha- carry the burden of praying for people, spiritual leaders and leaders of all sizes of groups and leaders of families and everything else should be praying for people. That's part of the burden of that. And certainly we want to pray to, with each other as we're trying to discern God's will in things. I think about our prayer team that is here every Sunday available to pray with and for you and in a sense they're carrying the burden of some of the prayers for us here at North. Jesus certainly prayed for his followers. Paul's letters are full of his unceasing prayer is kind of one of his um, usual phrases as he's talking about praying for the people that he loved. But all of us carry that burden in the community of faith to pray for one another. The second burden is that of settling disputes. And that, of course, is a much less delightful burden to carry for any of us. Conflict is perhaps the most depressing, difficult, de-energizing thing that we can carry in any situation. There's a new park in Maple Leaf where I live, and I've been taking my grandson there, and it's awesome because Some people have provided toys that stay at the park, and so all the kids get, there's all these digging toys and fun things, and he's barely just about to turn two, doesn't say a lot of words, but one word is really clear, and that is mine. And if you're a parent, you know how exhausting it is to have squabbling children. There's just nothing at the end of the day that takes the energy out of you. And if you're in a work situation with a couple of coworkers who don't like each other, it just sucks the life out of you. People here, I know of people who actually do arbitration for a living. Can I just say, you have my admiration. Because it is a calling. And it is actually one of the callings of the people of God, and that is all of us are supposed to be settling disputes. Within the body of Christ, 1 Corinthians 6 says, can it be that there's no one among you wise enough to decide between one believer and another? It's one of our jobs as a community of faith is that we're supposed to settle things among ourselves. Jesus, in fact, said settling disputes is more important than going to church. Did you know that? Did you know there's something in the Bible that they said is more important than going to church? It's in Matthew 5.23. Jesus said, If you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister have something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, go first and be reconciled to them. 
then come and offer your gift. It's a priority. I talked to someone between services who talked about disputes that are on your heart that you can't settle, and there's also the scripture that says to be at peace as much as it depends on you. So I know there are disputes we can't settle, but how many times we have simply avoided that. So settling disputes is one of the burdens that we carry in the family of God. The third burden is teaching. And I know a little bit about that because I taught every week for 10 years at a community Bible study. And at that time, my kids were in high school. My son left, was the last to leave home. And as he was leaving, his parting gift to his dad was a little advice on how to live with me during the week from the wisdom of an 18-year-old. So he, he told his dad, you know, Monday, mom is studying and she's got a long list of to-dos, so if you need things, be succinct. And Tuesday, mom meets with her leaders group, so she's really encouraged. It's a great time to interact with her. Wednesdays, mom is in her study writing the lecture, and she, it's a good time to serve her, bring her some tea or snacks or whatever, but don't interrupt her. And Thursdays, mom's teaching, and when she comes home, she's on top of the world. Anything you want, ask on Thursdays. <laughs> So my son really got me. I was, that was a great gift that he gave his dad, who I don't think knew what day I taught yet. <laughs> but um, anyway, it is really true that teaching, there is a sense of burden. I love teaching. I love studying. I love actually being here teaching. But the day that I'm in my office writing, it's like every college paper you've ever written. It's hard work. And Moses was teaching the people of Israel he was doing the spiritual work of teaching, meaning he was illuminating or trying to throw light on the truth that God had given him, helping people to apply that to their lives. That's the point of teaching, is trying to illuminate things so that people can see what it means to live that way in their lives. And there's many of you who do that. There's many, some of you who do it as, for a living, some of you do it as an avocation, but there are educators and parents there are kids among us who tutor other kids. There are young life leaders and spiritual directors and counselors, all of whom are doing the work of trying to bring light to the lives of other people. To be a transformational teacher, very little of it happens from up front in my experience. Most really important teaching, I think, happens one-on-one. -on -one. So Moses is carrying the burden of prayer and the burden of settling disputes and the burden of teaching. But one scripture that is part of our lesson today that we didn't read anything from is Numbers 11 because it also talks about shared leadership. And I want to read a little bit of that scripture because I think it really gets to the heart of what was wearing Moses out. Numbers 11, starting at verse 10. <clears throat> Moses heard the people of every family wailing at the entrance to their tents. The Lord became exceedingly angry, and Moses was troubled. He asked the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on me? What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised on oath to their ancestors? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me, give us meat to eat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy. 
If this is how you are going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me if I have found favor in your eyes and do not let me face my own ruin. This is leadership burnout. That's the picture of it right there in Numbers. Burden, the heavy burden that Moses is carrying there is bearing witness to the disappointment of others. Disappointment with God is a very common experience. And in this case, the backdrop is that they've only really been a few days out of Egypt, but in this case, the Hebrews are craving meat. And boy, isn't that what gets us? Isn't that the place we, can, we are quick to complain is when our physical circumstances produce some craving that isn't met. In fact, having done surveys about women's retreats for years, the most commented thing always is the food. It's the first thing we want to comment about, good or bad. It's what we pay attention to. And in this case, in verse 4, it says there was a group of people complaining, and then it spread by verse 10 where we started. Every family is wailing at the entrance of their tents. But the people are not turning toward God with their complaint about God. Instead, they are turning to one another, and it's spreading. Moses, at least, has the wisdom to take his complaints to God as ridiculous as he sounds. And yet, as a leader, I can totally identify with, with some of what he has to say. But he does remind me a little bit. I had a little boy, Garrett, I took care of when, when my kids were small. And he, he had this phrase I loved. He'd say, Ruth, I'm thirsty to death. And that sounds a little like Moses here. Because Moses is totally exaggerating his call. Because where did God say that he had to carry the whole burden? When did God say, you provide meat for all the people? When did God ask Moses to be their mother and provider and to do it alone? As leaders or as people who care for people, this also, burnout happens a lot in professions of, of people who provide care. Um, we can burn out when we exaggerate the size of our call. God never intended us to carry everyone else alone. Parents and grandparents, pastors and teachers, none of these resources are the source for any of us. We cannot carry the disappointment of all other people. It's a load too heavy for us, and we, if we think we are Messiah, we will wear out. But it's, th there's also this subtle difficulty as a Christian, because on the one hand, Galatians 6, 2 says, carry one another's burdens. And on the other hand, Galatians 6, 5 said, each person should carry their own load. So there's, there's this, this two truths that we have to hold, and sometimes discerning that line between the places that we are to carry the burdens of others and the places where people are to carry their own load is a place that only the Spirit of God can really direct us. Um, it's a very delicate place to go. So though we don't carry the disappointments of others, we are to bear witness to the reality of their pain, and that's a burden and a privilege that the whole family of God can be part of as brothers and sisters in Christ. So Jethro sees this crushing load that Moses is carrying. He has now listened to Moses' perspective, and then he offers his conclusion in verse 17. He says, it is not good. <laughs> 
It's not good. It's not good for you, Moses, because you're going to wear out. You're going to burn out. You're not going to be able to stand this pace. It's also not good for the people. It's not good for the people to be waiting around all day on your word. Their needs aren't being met. Their gifts aren't being employed. It's it's a waste uh, on both sides. It's not good. So Moses is willing to acknowledge his burdens, but now enduring faith also requires that he be willing to accept help. Verse 24 tells us, Moses listened to his father-in-law and did all that he said. That's, that's like a remarkable little one sentence about humility right there. Moses listened. He had that kind of receptivity that he was willing to take in a new perspective, a non-Hebrew, somebody who had just come fresh to the situation, who hadn't traveled with them, who didn't know anything about the nature of the relationships of those people. He listened and he did what he said. Humility is an amazing quality in a leader. And it's surely one of the most startling qualities that we see about our creator God. Isn't it startling to to see that the very face of God in Jesus is seen in humility? He came not to serve, to be served, but to serve. He came not to serve, but to be served. He didn't cling to his advantages or privileges. Jesus relied on other people. He relied on other people to give him a place to sleep. He relied on other people to provide food and finances for his journey. Jesus was a humble person, and humble people are willing to accept help from others. My husband and I have worked with 12-step people for, in Al-Anon and AA for like 20 years, and in working with having many, many people come say, we're desperate, we need help, one of the worst signs in terms of if people are going to recover or not is people who have a plan. If they have a plan, we almost always say, go to it. Good luck. Hope it works. <laughs> because our experience is that people who still think they know what to do and have a plan are not open, are not receptive to hearing a new path. It's always amazing to think there's you know, like two million people who've gotten sober in AA, but somebody who can't stop drinking for a week thinks they have a better plan. They think they, ha- they know a better way. And yet, how often is that true of us? We haven't been able to solve our financial issues, but we're not going to Financial Peace University. We haven't been able to figure out relationships, but we're not going to the spiritual journey class or a counselor. We don't know how to handle um, some area of life, but we are unwilling, we are un, uh, uh, unaccepting of help from outside. So Jethro, we heard, was a priest of Midian, which means that he was probably serving the gods of Midian when he arrived. And it says that Jethro had heard about Yahweh. And then in verse 11, it says, now I know that Yahweh is greater than all the other gods. So literally, Jethro probably came to faith yesterday. And yet Moses is willing to hear truth from the voice of Jethro. Whose voices are you willing to hear truth from? Many of us are very fearful of listening to voices 
with outside of a certain parameter. People who read the Bible the way we do, people who vote the way we do, people who have the education we have or the same gender or culture or history. In other words, people who are just like us. <clears throat> Whose voices are you willing to hear truth from? All through the scripture, God speaks through unusual voices. The, it was the king of Persia who was used to fulfill the word of God to send the Israelites <clears throat> back to their land. Paul was able to hear truth in Greek poetry, and he used that in, as a teaching tool when he, he went to people in Athens. D.L. Moody, who probably was used by God to change an entire generation, had a fifth grade education. Amy Semple McPherson was called to evangelism in the 1920s when in most churches women weren't allowed to touch the offering plate. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid of listening to voices or reading widely if we are discerning readers and listeners. So that's a big if. The if is that you are grounded in scripture yourself. Hebrews 5 says that we're supposed to move beyond needing to be spoon-fed truth. We're supposed to become mature people who have a lot of practice discerning right and wrong. That's probably the most frequent prayer request I hear from people is discernment. And it's certainly one of the biggest ones in my life is discernment of what to do and what's appropriate and how to respond. And yet that is exactly what, where we're headed with maturity, that we will have a lot of practice discerning right from wrong. If we want enduring faith, we have to acknowledge the problem, the burden that we're carrying, and we have to be open to listening and looking for help. Whose voices are you listening to? Jethro um, offers counsel. And I want to talk about the kind of help that helps people and the kind of help that Jethro offered here. First, I, I think he is wise in every respect in terms of what he offered. The first thing he says in verse 19 is, be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to God. In other words, Moses is to spend time with God and he's to ask for God's wisdom. I'm Aware how many times in ministry we say a little prayer before we do things, almost as if, you know, we've, we've put on church here for quite a while now. We kind of know how to do this. We've done Bible study for quite a while. We know how to do that. We're whatever kind of ministry you're doing. Can I just say how much I value ministries that are covered with prayer? Every time you speak, every time you pray with someone, every time you open the scripture with other people, that it be covered with prayer. We are to be people covered in prayer, asking for God's wisdom and not moving back into that familiar road of relying on our own resources. Then verse 20, he said, Jethro says to him, teach them the statutes and the laws and make known to them the way in which they are to walk and the work that they are to do. In other words, equip these people, equip them to be God followers. They don't need to continue to be spoon-fed truth by you. They need to become experienced God followers who know the work they are to do. One of the 
things that I, I'm aware of that's sort of a new issue because we have access right now. Because of technology, many of you can listen to 10 of the best preachers in the world every week if you want to. There's wonderful resources online, and I highly encourage you to do that. But listening to 10 great podcasts a week is not the same as becoming mature in your faith. Knowing the best uh, exegesis of a passage is not the same as becoming a mature person of faith. Truth, righteousness, peace, faith, and salvation are more than words, Galatians says. Learn how to apply them. I would encourage you today, don't listen to more truth, live more truth. Don't listen to more truth, although if you're not listening to some truth, you should be listening to some truth. Listen to truth, but I know I have more up here than can ever move down here, and it really moves from head to heart through our muscles. It moves through our doing it. It moves through our engaging it in our daily life. And Jethro's final advice is, verse 21, furthermore, you shall select out of all the people able men who fear God, men of truth, those who hate dishonest gain, and you shall place them, and you shall place these over them as leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And yes, it was only men leading 1,500 years before Christ. And just briefly, I would say that I'm thankful that Jesus' ministry clearly stood against that patriarchal system of his time and before that, and that the first century church and its teaching radically included women as both leaders and teachers. But the qualifications listed here it doesn't matter what the gender is. The qualifications are still very important. The qualifications are the same that we studied in Acts chapter 6 in our last series. People of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom. So Moses is to choose leaders who fear God. That is, who are spiritually awake to God. Leaders who are trustworthy. Trustworthy people, it literally means people of truth and people of integrity, people who have clean hands, who aren't in ministry for themselves. And then it says, leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And I've been charged with serving the leaders of connect groups here at North, so I was super excited. I'd forgotten that little phrase, leaders of tens. Leaders of tens, that's what we need. Leaders of tens, people willing to care for a small group of people. That might be your extended family. It might be a youth group or a, a gathering of a few neighbors. In our community here at Bethany and in our community here in Shoreline, we need leaders of tens who are willing to support and encourage and give feedback and model and accountability and encouragement and love to groups of 10. And I'm guessing that all of you are parts of groups, and whether you have a title or not, you are influencing those groups. Whether you have a title or not, you influence, for good or for harm, every group you are part of. Picture with me a 16-year-old child at the dinner table. They have an influence. 
they influence that family meal for good or for harm. Picture your, any work group you've ever been a part of from two to 20. If you're a part of that group, you influence it for good or for harm. If you're in a Bible study or a small group, whether you have the title leader, you are influencing that group. If Bethany North is a place where people would accept the call to shepherd tens or fifties or hundreds, then what is, was true for Moses will also be true for us from verse 23 we will be able to endure. Our leaders will be able to endure. Our staff will be able to endure. The people will be able to endure. We will be here in 10 years and 30 years and 80 years if we are willing to acknowledge our need for help and ask for help and if we are willing to share leadership in this wise way. It also said, it says, we will be able to endure and the people also will go to their place in peace. And this word peace, shalom, is so much more than not fighting. It's this sense of well-being. There's a sense of well-being that will be true of our community when we have people sharing the load in this way. I'd like to close talking about something that happened in 1976 that's coming up right now. There you go. This is what enduring faith might start out looking like. Not much. Two crazy in love kids, naive, who love Jesus, decide to get married. And that was 40 years ago today, David and I. <laughs> and of course, we did it all by ourselves, just all by ourselves. No, of course, we have had the encouragement and love and care of people throughout our life that has enabled us to be here at 40 years. But when I'm asked what to look for in a spouse, the number one thing that I am grateful for in my husband David is his courage. He is the most courageous person I know because he's been willing to acknowledge problems and willing to be open to help. Our marriage would have been fatally stuck at many, many points along the years. And I'm so grateful, David, for your courage and your willingness to continue to grow through our whole life together. Happy anniversary. <laughs> Last night at our house, we had two expected guests and three unexpected guests who spent the night. And um, as we went to bed, I said, I don't even have a card for you tomorrow. <laughs> Which I have to say, at like two or three years married, if he'd said that to me, that would have been fighting words. Um, and I said, so if you go out to get a card, would you get one for me too? <laughs> and this morning, he showed up with two cards, one for him and one for me. <laughs> that's going to be an enduring marriage right there. That's, a, that's helpful. But the truth is, we all get stuck sometimes. We all get to places where we are stuck, and enduring faith requires that we are willing to acknowledge those burdens and to ask for help. I'm grateful that we get to come to the Lord's table today. We come at the invitation of the one who says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest.
we come to the one who has provided everything for us, who has provided bread, his body broken for us, who has provided the wine of forgiveness that represents his shed blood for us. This is the sustaining meal of the people of God. Let me give thanks as we come to the table. Holy God, we are so grateful for your sustaining life offered to us. Father, we take these in faith, trusting your love for us, trusting your forgiveness, covering all that we bring, all of the burdens. Father, will you carry us in whatever season of life we are in? May we find you faithful today as we come to your table. Thank you for the gift of your son. Thank you for his shed blood, broken body, and life lived for us. Thank you that he is in glory with you now, praying for us in Christ's name. Amen. This is the Lord's table. It's not a denominational table. It's not Bethany's table. If you are a follower of Christ, we invite you to the table. The bread this morning is all gluten-free bread and the cup. We ask you to just participate freely as you like. There are two stations up there as well. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Come. Come.